Now, Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Hello, good morning and welcome to Scotland's Talking. I'm Ali Bally on the programme between now and midday. Boris Johnson has grabbed the headlines with comments about Muslim women wearing the burqa, comparing them to letterboxes. This Iman says he's out of order. It's not just deriding, it's not just mocking, it's below the belt. But Nigel Farage has leapt to his defence. Over half the country wants the burqa banned, and I bet you, amongst the other half, many feel very uncomfortable with it. My question for you is, do you think he's been racist or just rude? I'll be asking why the over-50s are still hitting the bottle when younger generations are starting to sober up. Admitting that you might be struggling is a massive thing for someone to admit. I'll be chatting soon to Graham Callender, who's trying to get us to change our ways. And just before 11, I'll be introducing you to a man who's had to rebuild his entire life after a car crash left him in a coma for six weeks. Tom Patterson has even lost his Scottish accent, but he says there are ways through even when you're at rock bottom. Either full or half empty glass or half full glass. I guess I'm more half full glass. And is this any way to talk to a Prime Minister? I'd like to hear your opinions on the rights and wrongs of heckling. But there's no need to shout, you can just use the phone. The number is 0333 2020 401. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. Do you tell your doctor the truth about how much you drink? There was a survey the other day which claimed GPs think most of us are underestimating our alcohol intake and some of them double the number. I think the, the actual precise was they multiply it by 1.6. Yeah, right. Okay. So they double it, uh, the number of units. So if you say, oh, well, I, I only have X amount of units. Now, I, I don't understand the units thing at all. I think you can make it a lot simpler. Anyway, um, the, the doctors double it. So they think you're telling we porkies, basically. And is it those of us over the age of 50 who are kidding ourselves the most? It seems so. In every other age group, the rates of higher-risk drinking are going down, but not above the over-50s. Why do you think that can be? Graham Callender is from Drink Well, Age Well Project, which is trying to get the over-50s to think more about how much they're putting away. Uh, very good morning to you, Graham. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. Good morning yourself. Good. So what is the project? I suppose it says it all in the title, really, doesn't it, what you're trying to do? Let, let over-50s like myself... Think about what they're doing. That's absolutely right. Um, Drinkwise Age Well is really just trying to, I suppose, help people make healthier choices about alcohol as as they age. Um, and certainly, very there's lots of evidence that we've collected about some of the reasons why the over fifties are tending to drink more now than they ever did before. Um, and those sort of things could be sort of retirement and health issues and sort of family leaving home and things like that have all led to an increase in, in alcohol uh, consumption in this age group. Mm. I, you see, I, I thought we were, I was reading again a headline the other day saying that um, so many pubs every week are closing down, particularly in Scotland. There seems to be a higher proportion, or certainly from the north um, uh, of England upwards, seems to be a high proportion. Um, so therefore, uh, the over 50s are, are not going to the pubs. Is, uh, is, is there a case that the over 50s are drinking more at home? Yep, certainly the vast majority of people that we've spoken to and engaged with over the last three and a half years, it tends to be at home drinking. Um, and a lot of the, the, the sort of alcohol issues that we, we encounter, it's people are drinking actually at home alone, um, which is quite worrying and can lead to other health issues as well. And also, of course, at home, the measures you pour yourself are nothing like what you get in a pub, really. That's, that's you know. right, that's right. And I, and I think this sort of ties in with what, what you were saying just at the very beginning of this piece, where people are maybe underestimating how much alcohol they're actually drinking. Um, you know, if you're in a pub, you know that within a pint of beer, it's roughly about two and a half units uh, of alcohol is contained in that, or up to three units for a glass of a large glass of wine. However, if we're in the home, then we tend to, particularly with wine and spirits, we, we, we find it difficult to measure exactly what a, you know, a unit or a couple of units per drink. So, 
you can see how mm. <laughs> how challenging that can be. Okay, um, let, let's take then again because I say I don't understand. You, you've you've brought it to me there. Some of the, uh, the the figures, you know, two and a half units for a pint, uh, three for a glass of wine. What is it? What is it for a bottle of wine then? It's it's roughly ten units contained in a in a bottle of wine. Right. So if if someone sits down and comes in and is going through a bottle of wine in an evening, which is easy enough to do, um, and and they're doing that two or three times a week. Let's say that brings them to there's your thirty units. Then that's that's just not wine. What is the recommended uh, unit limit for a week? That's that's um, so the the chief medical officers throughout the UK um, advise um, people to drink up to fourteen units spread over a whole week. Um, and that's also including um, having at least two to three days with, with no alcohol at all. So you can see quite quickly how, how easy it would be to, I suppose, drink um, over those, mm-hmm. those recommendations. And as you say, a couple of bottles of wine, which wouldn't be that unusual, to be fair. Um, you know, you're, you're, that's you already drinking, you know, you know, several units above what the, the chief medical officers uh, in the NHS are advising us. You see, what that turns to me then is to say that what they're advising us is unrealistic. Um, it's, it's certainly the it's it's born out of lots of research, and what they are saying is that um, there, there isn't really a safe limit, a safe amount of alcohol um, that anyone can drink. You know, what they say is that obviously alcohol can lead to and is linked to up to seven different types of cancers. Um, particularly for the age group that, that we support, is that, that can also interact with medication, so which can lead to, I suppose, accidents and falls in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as well, if you've got underlying health conditions like mental health um, issues, then it can be a bit of a perfect storm. So even very small amounts can have an impact um, negatively on someone's health. So I think it's just about trying to raise awareness about, as you say, you know, that there are 10 units in a bottle of wine, and maybe you know try and you know maybe spread that out over the week. It's not to say that people shouldn't enjoy a glass of wine with dinner or friends. That's certainly not the message that I would like to get across. Mm. Uh, it's about trying to be about realistic with people as well. So turning to as I say, we've been talking there about the over fifties. Yeah. Um, drink well, age well. The project. Are you coming up against um, people drinking? I think you actually. You, you went a little bit towards this because they are getting uh, maybe sitting on their own, you know, families flown the nest. That's right. That is, is and, you know, they start, oh, it's five, you know, it's often said as a joke, but um, somebody looking for an excuse to, to, to make, you know, to, to say to themselves, yeah, it's okay, it's five o'clock somewhere. Uh, so we'll start, it's two o'clock in the afternoon, so we'll start and have a drink here um, just because they're sitting on their own. What can be done to, to try and help that, to, to, to get rid of that loneliness? Well, well, I think a massive part of our role is to link people into, I suppose, social activity and local community resources um, to provide them alternatives to drink. And, and there are many things that we can provide throughout the city of Glasgow, which is, you know, providing social activities like fishing and dancing, but also, I suppose, the opportunity to learn uh, and how to cope with life stresses and strains in a different way. So we provide lots of sort of group work activity. Um, also, as well, you know, we do provide the actual support, whether that be sort of one-to-one support for people who might need it. Um, mm-hmm. But we also provide the facility where if someone's on our website, for example, they can um, have sort of free confidential conversations with our web chat advisors. Um, so there's lots of different ways that we can... I suppose, engage with people and, and try and pass on these really key health messages. Right, and it would seem that the younger age groups are taking heed of those messages. It, it certainly seems the evidence is pointing that there, there has been a reduction in the amount that younger people are drinking. Um, and I suppose the, the sort of polar opposite to what we're finding is the over 50s are drinking more. And even on top of that, what we are finding is that up to 60% of the people that we support are actually drinking um, more problematically in later life than they ever did when they were younger, and some people starting to drink for the first time. So there's obviously mm. some, some key health and lifestyle and, and, and life changes that are going on for, for this age group that are, that are leading to the increase. Yeah, and again, as we say, in the home, it seems to be where you're, you're, you're sitting down and, and using it, you know, and, and, and 
you know, because of the, the loneliness. And also, you know, when you go out to, to pubs and things, some prices these days are enough to put you off. It's enough to send you home. Well, that's, that's, that's very, very true. Very so true. I was hearing someone the other day who went into uh, a particular hotel for a glass of wine. It was £9. Yes. <laughs> what? I know, I know, and, and, and that's the thing, and, and I suppose when, when you're in a, a licensed premises, you, I suppose you have those financial constraints, but there's also the ability to monitor how much you drink yeah. a little bit easier, so yeah, it, it, it's no surprise that people are tending to buy uh, alcohol from supermarkets and, and, and having a drink at home, um, you know, there's lots of pressures on our finances. Mm, absolutely, moment, so. yeah. So, Graham, if, if we're looking here, as I say, particularly at the over 50s, yeah. um, and, and that's striking a chord with someone right now, and, yeah. and they're saying, hmm, right, okay, I didn't realise, you know, 14 units is the recommended a week, and I'm drinking at least two or three bottles of wine a week. Yeah. Um, what, you know, what's your website? What can they go on to get some advice here? Yep, certainly. So, um, our website is just simply www.drinkwiseagewell.org.uk and within the website contains a whole raft of information about how you can get advice, how you can, I suppose, how you can do practice some harm reduction yourself. Um, and as I've mentioned before, there is a web chat facility where you can actually speak to an advisor um, sort of kind of with a little bubble at the, on the bottom corner mm, yeah, of, of yeah, the page. Yeah. Um, also within there, there's our free phone number uh, for our Glasgow office. So if you live in Glasgow City, um, we would be able to speak to you over the phone and potentially come out and see you. Um, but you'll also find us across the city delivering stalls, um, you know, within, you know, GP practices, etc. as well. Okay. Uh, Graham, thank you very much indeed for joining us today and, and talking about that subject. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye -bye. So there's Graham Callender from Drink Well, Age Well Project, uh, just generally talking about it. And if, as I say, it doesn't matter where you live, Glasgow yet, if, you, if you're um, looking to, to get some advice or indeed go, to, to go and see them or get somebody out. But go, it, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're looking for some just guidance, um, go on to the to the website there and, and have a look. And of course, as always, if you would like to comment, there are various ways you can do it. If you'd like to uh, tell us, uh, did you have a problem? Have you got a problem at the moment? What are you doing about it? Why is it the over 50s? Every other age group, just in case you've just joined us, every other age group, this, this report says uh, alcohol is going down, but the over 50s, it is going up. And we don't tell the GPs the truth. When the GPs say, how many units are you drinking? They then double what we say because they don't believe us. Uh, the ways to get in touch, you can call 033-2020-401. It's only a local rate to call us, but some phone providers may apply further charges. You can email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk, text 61054, start your message with Ali, or we're hashtag Scotland's talking. Uh, Lorraine, hello, how are you? I'm fine. Good. What's I, your point? Um, I am a very functional alcoholic. Right. And what? the man that you've just been speaking to, does he know how hard it is? I've had a detox. I've been, you know what, everything. And I still, I don't know. I like the taste of drink. I don't drink to get drunk. I like the taste of drink. Okay. What what time do you start in the morning drinking? When you, when's your first drink, Lorraine? It just depends. How long is a piece of string? In the morning. In the mm. morning, right. Okay. But, but, but I would like people to know that it is a problem, and I, I do agree with you about the 50s thing, although I only look 21 on the phone, don't I? Of course you do. You look marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> no, um... I feel that um, experience is the best teacher. I can stop it. Well, you can't stop it like that. And that's one of the points he didn't put across. You can't stop, you end up having seizures, a stroke or a heart attack. Right. So um, a lot of the things he says were not too bad, but a lot of the things were uh, not very good. Yeah, but but it's the same extent. The whole project, drink well, age well, are for people who are looking for help. You you sound as though you don't want help. You're happy with the way you're. No, I've had gone. help. No, You've I've, had, I've oh no, I've had help. I've been helped, um, and um, there is help there. I can agree with you on there. There is help there. Right. But 
um, if I was to phone him, uh, I don't think I would get the help. What help do you want then? Now, first of all, let me say, let me say, I, I totally agree that alcohol is an addiction. It is an, yes, it is. You know, it's not yes. something you can it just is. stop. It is. it is an addiction. I don't addiction. smoke. I don't smoke. Okay. Right. Um. So, what help do you want right now, or do you no, want help? I, no, I don't. I've I've got support right, left, and centre. What I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that everything he said wasn't right. For instance. It, for instance. Right. I see you ever taken a drink. Has he ever smoked? Has he ever had an addiction? I don't know. You know. Well, I know. I know. How long's a piece of string? I would be going forever here. Um, no. All I'm saying is that anybody that's needing help, there is help there. But go through your GP, and that drink-wise, fifty plus whatever he's talking about, is a load of nonsense. In my opinion, right? I'm that's, sorry, that's... but uh, the man, the man is probably. I don't think so. I think he'd be he'd be looking for your telephone number to see if he can reach out to you and help you. But you don't think he could. You don't think that project would help you. I've got my own project. Well, it's not working. You've admitted it's not working. It is working. It is working. But the stress, I'll agree with him about the over fifty thing. But the stress, as soon as stress hits me, um, whoa, there we go. Um, I would challenge him, uh, if he does take a drink himself, I would challenge him to do the dry in September and the sober October. Because that makes a lot of money for a lot of people, and especially my family and friends, because they know I can do that. And do, will you be doing it? Yes. Right, right, okay. So you better, um, you better send me your donation. <laughs> <laughs> Lorraine, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And, um, you know, all right, um, you have your opinion. And as far as I'm concerned, if Drink Well, Age Well Project uh, helps one person, then it's not a load of nonsense at all. But thank you for your call. This is Scotland's Talking. So we're getting some comments coming through regarding drinking and the over 50s. Mike says, nothing to do with realising that we are dependent on the snowflake generation to pay our pensions, is it? Mike, grumpy old git. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Mike, for that. So we're just, just, do you tell the doctor the truth? Do you understand it when they're talking about units? Um, this survey out this week said that doctors double what you say when you go in just because they don't believe you. you know, how many units of drink? I think it's confusion. I think it's the fact that we don't know. We don't understand it, but maybe that's uh, what Graham was talking about and giving us some of the ideas, some of the, the measurements that will maybe help um, uh, in there to, to help us work out what we actually drink. Once again, get in touch, let me know. Also coming up um, a little later on, we will be talking about uh, Boris Johnson. He's managed to get himself, uh, everybody talking about him again. That's what he was trying to do, I would think. Um, and also... Well, we'd like to thank Scotland's famed around the world for a warm welcome we give to visitors. Uh, do you consider this good or bad? Did you cringe or have you not heard this yet? Here's what one lady was doing to the Prime Minister. Teresa, we're going to food banks for you! Teresa, come on, see we're food banks! So we'll hear more about that and I'll give you the chance to, to let me know whether you think that's um, a good way to, to welcome people and for to be on people's minds. That's the welcome you get in Scotland. This is Scotland's Talking. I want to talk now to a gentleman who has written a book. Now, I know that's not what we normally do on Scotland's Talking, but I'd like you to just stop for a few minutes and listen to what he has to say because what happened to him could happen to you, to a member of your family, to me, to anybody. And it had fairly dire consequences for him. Let, let uh, my guest tell the story, and that's Tom Patterson. Tom, good morning to you. Hi there. So, you've written a book. It's called This Journey We Travel, and it's a type of book that I've found that sitting reading through it, 
It's one of those, I waken up in the morning and I want to get back to it to read the next page to find the next part of your story and your journey uh, because it has been a journey that you've travelled. Let's go back to the very beginning. What, what, was, what started it all off? You were, you were driving in your car, normal morning, and then what happens? Absolutely. Well, I was coming back down from a winter climb up north. I used to climb a lot. And one time when I was coming back down, it snowed. It snowed over ice and the car skidded and crashed into a tree. But I'm not a tree hugger. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember anything about it? Uh, nada. No no. <laughs> no, no, no. Which is good. Absolutely, yeah. So, crashed, uh, emergency services come out. Absolutely. So how long were you out for? It was on the way down from uh, a clock moment. Mm-hmm. And basically what happens was at that point, I can't remember a thing. I can't even remember a thing for the whole day. Really? Which is actually very beneficial mm-hmm. way to going things. Yeah. So I believe basically what happened is I broke umpteen ribs. I'm, uh, I'm right SI joints, sacral light joint, was uh, four or five places, so I couldn't walk. And I got serious head injury which is classed as a traumatic brain injury. And that put me into coma for six weeks. So for my family, they didn't, they didn't know whether I was going to come in or get worse or whatever from there. Yeah. And also when I came to you, it wasn't like as if, as if you, you come to you like about every morning and go, morning! It takes a slow time to get back into swing of things again. Mm-hmm. Very slow. It's very complicated between what you dream and what reality. It gets so confused and mixed up. So that would take a long time to come to. You're saying, you know, what you dream and what is reality. Did part yeah. of it part of it feel like a dream then? And when you were first coming out of that six week coma, how did that feel? Absolutely. Well, that's exactly what it was like. It was like, well, what was a dream and what was reality? It was so confusing. Because if someone came to see you, you go, mm, did they come and see me or did their dream they come and see me? Mm-hmm. Um, who was with them? Can, can be different? What you imagined it to be like? So that that took a long time to come back come to. Now also, um, I, I can sum up by saying you couldn't walk. Uh, you had stroke-like s- symptoms. And That's right, yeah. Yeah, and your speech was greatly affected. You didn't always speak with this foreign accent you're talking to us. <laughs> no, no, no. Where did that come from then? <laughs> I found it. <laughs> <laughs> you thought, I've got to find one, so that one will do. <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's very strange. It's not like you wake up with a foreign accent. What a foreign accent is, is in the side of your brain... There's two parts, of, two different parts of modes which can affect your speaking. What affected myself was how I, I, I mechanically do words. Mm-hmm. And it's, it can sound like someone comes in who speaks a different language, comes in here, can have difficulty saying certain words. And I was the same thing. And many folk have the same situation. So therefore, folk automatically think, oh, that doesn't sound normal. Oh, he must be foreign. So, and the same words, I still, still does say, I cannot, cannot say professionally. Listen, yeah. I'm a professional and I can't say some words. <laughs> you, but you learn to cope with it, you know, there are words Absolutely. that I, av- I avoid some words like uh, the, pl- I don't know, I'm not going there, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, avoidance is best technique. <laughs> That's it, yeah. So, how long was the recovery period in hospital then? Oh, years. Yeah. <laughs> Took yeah. a long time. In my hospital visits, <laughs> I got lots of T-shirts. Um, I got one, two, three, four, four, five hospitals I was in. Really? So, yeah, I got, yeah, I was in a lot of different places. I went down t- after the first one, the second one, then third one, went down to a place called Ashley Ainsley in Edinburgh. It was a rehabilitation place. I was in full time there for a good, good two months. And that was that was a big big changeover. So I went to a wee visit to Edinburgh. <laughs> yes. Uh, then did you at that point think to yourself, where is this going? Is this the start of a different journey? What what did you do work wise before you that all this happened? 
I was a training director of a hairdressing company. Right. And I was very creative. Mm-hmm. And that part of me was lost. I couldn't go back into that because obviously I couldn't walk and it was foreign. Yes. <laughs> so... If so, a, a folk asked me here, to go, oh, la la. <laughs> so, that, so that was the job knocked on the head? Absolutely. And, and what did, where did you see yourself going? Tell us a bit about the journey then you, you, you're having to, to push yourself into. Do you know what? I guess that's what is a half glass of water. Either folk are half empty glass or half full glass. I guess I'm more half full glass. They said nobody knew what I come on myself was going to be like, nor to know myself. So at that point, it was major, major anxiety. So it just had to say, well, because I spent all my life doing training, I focused on, well, what did you improve on? And I went for it. The bottom line was, this wasn't winning. Whatever happened to me, it wasn't winning. I was going to do the best I can do, no matter what. In your book, I was reading that the, the personal loss that you had was um, you, you lost your home, you couldn't drive anymore, you lost yep. your wife, you lost access to the kids, you lost, mm-hmm. you know, um, that must have been a very, where you're trying to, I know what you're saying, that half full glass, but all these things coming on the back of this huge accident that's and, and this determination that you've got, but all these other things coming. It must have been a very dark period, Tom. It's the matter of, it's not really thinking on darkness of this, right, play one, what can, I, what can I improve on? So it's not thinking too big a picture and just thinking what's available now. And yes, the best thing was all the things I gained in my life, as you all do, identity was lost. I was left with no identity of what I had before. That was the biggest thing. And that's really what my book's about. It's about loss of identity. Because no matter what happens in life, when you go through things, it can be th- we all experience loss in life. That's a human given. And, um, it can be anything from loss of health, an accident, even a career change, uh, even a close death of someone close in a family, or even looming of old age can be coming from loss of something, something you'd lost in life, loss of identity, and how to replace that. That's basically what my book's all about. It's about using my story of a person so folk can experience what I went through mm. and also experience loss, what it feels like loss. And with my book, it explains folk how to get by this loss. When you were in a place like... Ashley Ainsley and, mm-hmm. and the the the, mm-hmm. yep. the, uh, the hospitals. There would be other patients uh, who would be uh, affected uh, with an injury, much in the same way as you. Um, were you the one amongst them in in the the ward or the the room? Were you the one that um, encouraged people to go and keep on going when they got to a low period? At that point, it was still new to me. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. it was. Except when you experience that, you see, obviously, the unexpected injury they're experiencing and the loss they're having in life, but just dealing with loss, and the exact same scenario with loss happens. It can be resistant denial and sorrow or, or guilt. Everything's happening at different rates, as well as what they've got to do physically to improve. So uh, everyone at different stages, and the ward was in, there was a bit... 10 people in at the same time, all different circumstances. Some folk get on with it and some folk resisted big time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as always, you'd expect that to happen. Yeah, I've known a few people who have um, had brain injuries due to car accidents mm-hmm. and been, yeah. in, been in units and visited them. And, and I know what you're saying, but for you then, are you very much, never mind the half full glass and etc., are you mm-hmm. uh, believe that when one door closes, another one opens? That, absolutely. This is my life part two. I'm saying, well, okay, I didn't die, but what can I make of this life now? I'm here for a reason. What is the reason? And that's why I wrote my book. It was, it was I discovered there was a gap in, in folks' rehabilitation between primary health care and middle bit, 
to being back to normal society again. And his filling up is with coaching. Folk need coaching back into the air. It's not about primary health care, but the physical actions need to, to be done, like the, the physiotherapy, occupational therapy, and psychology, etc. Mm -hmm. But also there's a big gap in coaching folk into day-to-day -day living. I've helped a lot of folk. I've done one-to-one -one, uh, sessions with people, put them back into form again. Where they have difficulty dealing with something, their cognition isn't quite the same. But that can be whether the physical injuries or emotional injuries that are knocking them back into a cap between both these things. And what I see it is, folk need help to be put back on track. So looking forward then, rather than looking back, mm -hmm. yep, because absolutely. looking back, I, I don't believe in looking back. Yep, absolutely. It's, it's happened, it's gone, there's not a lot you can do yeah. about Get on and see what you're going to be doing. Absolutely. So what's, ahead, what's ahead for you then, Tom? Well, <laughs> that's me. Of all my things going through was discovering new self for myself and seeing I went on to doing holistic therapies and being a therapist and therefore I specified that on stress management and therefore went on to counselling and also cognitive and behavioural therapy and also with NLP. I've done NLP for years, even as back doing as as formatted teaching back in '98. So it's been about 20 years since I've started doing it. Mm -hmm. That's the vital part. That was where coaching came from, psychology with the coaching aspect of it. And then I went on to do uh, Open University, but doing psychology, which I've done honours degree, finished it. Very good. And um, when they said. One difficulty I acquired was a difficulty writing things down because my writing was slower and my mind was going with three different conversations at the same time. So my writing was all over the place. So it took a long time of persistent doing it to get it back to normal again. If you can call it normal. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a way forward for you, isn't it? Have you also taken part in a marathon, is that right? Absolutely, yeah. And also what I've done was I've done uh, a marathon, uh, the one in Glasgow, this, um, the, the milk one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I've done that, done that. And then i also done the swimming from Millport, Largs. And also I've done a talk in Edinburgh at the hotel there to 300 people with the with the one of the directors from Momentum and they've done a poem to finish off a good standing ovation seeing my poem. And that was talking foreign too. <laughs> <laughs> so and I didn't they, get any subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the sales of the book, are you pleased with that so far? Very. Well it's been very, very good for it. Oh, also, come back to what I was saying before, but looking forward, I'm halfway through doing my master's in psychology. And one more one more year to go, and that's me finished to that. Fantastic. It's, uh, you're in, an inspiration for, for those of us who think we, we may have problems. And for those as well who, um, you know, we, we, we read and we hear of uh, car accidents and people being injured daily and, and, and people have, you know, head injuries mm -hmm. um, is, is a traumatic thing and I think you're, you'll be an inspiration to, te to them as well, Tom. Thank you. That's, it's one of the things I call my wee car bump. Your wee car bump. <laughs> yes, it's gone on for a bit, hasn't yeah. it? <laughs> or because I'm foreign, my bimp. <laughs> Tom, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programming. You're more than welcome. Thank you very much more indeed. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Tom Patterson and the book is called The Journey We Travel. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. Boris Johnson has succeeded in getting everyone talking about him again. This time it's because of his comments he made about Muslim women wearing the full face veils, also known as the burqa. In a column in the Daily Telegraph, he said they looked like bank robbers and letterboxes. Although he also stated he didn't want the outfit banned. My question for you this morning is, was Boris being racist 
or just plain rude. Eman Ajmal Mazur was one of the many in the Muslim community who was outraged. It's not just deriding, it's not just mocking, it's below the belt. Why would you do that to Muslim women? Are they free for all just so that you can attack because they're visible? I think Boris Johnson needs to be more responsible. Boris has not responded to demands to say sorry, which also ensured that everyone kept talking about it, of course. The Conservative Party is investigating whether he's broken their code of conduct and there have been calls for him to be kicked out. The Prime Minister, Theresa May, has been treading a careful line but made it clear she disagreed with these comments. First of all, I believe and the government believes that the question of how a woman should dress is a matter for a woman's individual choice. Nobody should be trying to tell a woman how to dress. As we discuss these issues and openly discuss these issues, it's imperative that everybody is careful in the language that they use. It's very clear that the language that Boris Johnson used to describe people's appearance has caused offence. It's not language I would have used. I, don't, I think he was wrong to have used that language. But supporters of Boris, including the former UKIP leader Nigel Farage, say he's been telling it like it is. The Prime Minister may not like these comments, the party chairman may not like them, many in mainstream media may not like them. But, you know, you go out into the country and ask people their opinion. Over half the country wants the burqa banned, and I bet you, amongst the other half, many feel very uncomfortable with it. So, you know, whatever the outrage in Westminster... Out there in Middle England, people will not be offended by what Boris has said. Not just Middle England, uh, Nigel. Uh, Scotland, there was a, a poll in an evening newspaper that I read the other day. And uh, they were asked, was he right and was he wrong? Or should he apologise? And the vast majority said, no, he shouldn't need to apologise. Um, and, and surely that's free speech, is it not? You know, he said what he thought or, you know. As I say, was he being rude? Was he being racist? Or was he just speaking his mind? Free speech. Here's a note in from Gladys Finnegan. She says, no, I don't think that Boris Johnson is being racist or rude. He is being honest. OK. Uh, if you've got a comment, you love to hear from you. What's your, your side of it? How do you fall down here? Do you think it is Boris who just <laughs> says something, drops that grenade and then heads off on holiday and leaves everybody else to fight it out? Uh, what's your thoughts? O treble three twenty twenty four zero one is the number. It's a local rate to call us, but some phone providers may supply or may apply even further charges. So that's the phone number. You can text your comments. The text number is six one zero five four, and uh, start your message with Ali. Love you to call. Like to speak to you. So phone in. Uh, email Ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk, and uh, you can also. Catch us on Twitter, hashtag Scotland's Talking. It's just when you know, we're talking there about, and, and the Prime Minister talking about uh, uh, Boris criticising how, how women decide to dress. Um, on my Facebook page, where I've just put a, a little note about what's happening on the programme today, I've also posted a photograph of Boris. Um, and, I, you know, you look at that photograph and you think, this is the man that's telling other people how to dress. Have a look. Ali Bally Show. That's the Facebook page. Right, let's get on the phone lines. Philip, hello. How do you, Ali? How's you doing? Fine, thank you. Fine. Your thoughts? Well, well, I'm kind of split on this, Ali. On the one hand, I respect Boris Johnson's right to exercise, right to free speech. But then again, I thought we lived in a country that's supposed to practice religious tolerance. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want it banned. That's that's what I find strange. He didn't go... He's made it clear. He said, I, I never said I wanted it banned. So I don't quite know what he wants, apart from stirring it up and making sure that whilst he's on holiday, the country and the Conservative Party are still talking about him. Well, if you're going to ban the burqa and the nakab, then you're going to have to ban other, other, other religious sects, like the Sikhs for wearing turban. Mm-hmm. So it could be just a, a snowball effect if we start one. And, you know, I, I, I know there, are, there is a movement to have the burqa band, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's people, how they want to dress us. You know, if we wore our national dress and went to another country, should that be banned? You know, it's... it's, it's well, several, well, several countries have taken action. I think Australia's banned the burqa, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't, don't see if there's any backlash of that. 
but non-Boris Johnson's I do, I think he's even attention seeker. I mean, everybody knows that, you know. I mean, he's no longer in public office and he craves the limelight, so he's doing this you know, to keep in the public eye. But is it the comments of someone who has ambitions to be a Prime Minister? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yep. He's, a, he's what you call a stocking horse. Yeah, yeah. And you think this is just a move to keep him in the news? Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he craves attention, Ali. And since he's no longer Foreign Secretary, which is a high-profile office, right, right he's, he's, he's doing this you know, to keep himself in the public eye, as it were. Right. I'm going on holiday. I better remember, make sure that everybody remembers who I am. Well, it won't go away, Ali. He's going, you're, going to, you're going to have to face it when he comes back from, from his holiday. OK, we'll see how that pans out. Thank you very much indeed, Philip. John, how are you? Good, good morning, Ali. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well, John. There's, there's, there's nobody there wearing a burqa, no. no so I can no, talk freely. You can, you can talk freely anyway, whether somebody's wearing a burqa or not. <laughs> no, Boris, to me... He's, he's a bit of a comedian, whatever. He just says what he thinks. I mean, personally to me, I'm a 100% religious person. I believe in Jesus Christ, my God. But the, the, the Muslims, it's not, they don't have to wear the burqa. It's, it's, I think it's the men who tell them they don't want to see their body or whatever, kind of, they're held back. Mm-hmm. It's the women who say, wait just a minute, I want to wear what I want to wear. I mean, I, I go, if you go to church, you wear that thing on your head for it. Then it's just a part of being a faith, you know, but again, it's been doing completely out of context. <laughs> Ali, I, I, I was talking to people going to town about that, and a lot of the women there, they, they don't want to be a worker. They want to be by a woman be dressed properly. It's all in their own country, in their own country, but they don't have to do it. But they're, and they're very intimidating. I spoke to one of these in London, and she's on a lift, and four came in, and she felt intimidated. <laughs> can I say something? Can I say something? And that guy told me that. This is not, well, he says that he was talking to four parasols down the beach and he realised that there was parasols, you know. And there's all, a lot of people have told me things. But again, but hang on, hang on, John. Just just let me pick you up on, before you get on a run here um, with all these one-liners that you're throwing in. Um, John, you, you said it's all right in their own country. To many, yes. to many of these women... The United Kingdom is their own country. They were born and brought up here. Yes, some of them are. But Not just I some mean, of them, I'm, a lot of them. A lot, but why, this why this is their country. I don't know why but, they wear it. That's that's what they want to do. Surely it should be freedom to be... They should wear what oh, they want yes. to wear. If they freedom want to wear speech. it, let them get on. But freedom of speech, are obliged to see some things that in this country you think about, you can't see it. Because there's some things that happen... And they're taken up for, for saying it, you know. But Boris can say these things like that. And I, I don't find any offence of that. You've got to take it on the show. I, mean, I don't think it's a big deal, you know, about that. OK, John, thank you. Not a big deal as far as John is concerned. Joseph, how are you? Good morning, Ali. Good morning. Well, the, the thing about Theresa May, she'd have confronted him in a private interview with him, Ali, and then opened him out. She opened him out in public and put her foot in it. Worse than Morris said, Boris saying what he said. She's causing more trouble with opening her mouth instead of saying, Look, I'll see you when you come back and we'll have a discussion about it. And then she can come out and say what she felt, you know? Well, to be fair, it's the, it's the chairman of the Conservative Party, not Theresa May, that will, um, that will carpet him on this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I understand, yeah, I understand yeah, that. I think, I think also, from the way I look at it on the, the sidelines of, of politics, Joseph, is yeah. that, that what Boris is doing is keeping his name high just in case anything happens. Well, that's while the money is. Because he's looking to, you know, if the Prime Minister happened to resign or go tomorrow, then Boris would throw his hat in the ring. And yeah. so, so would, I believe, through the thing, and I'm no expert, but what I read, so would the current uh, chairman of the, the Conservative Party. So well, that's that's that. So by, mean, invest- by investigating Boris, he's, he's maybe getting rid of one of his enemies. Yeah, well, as I'm saying, Ali, they, 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 they're, 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 they're creating confusion amongst people. Even the British people are confused with his burqa carry-on. If, I mean, if I walked in a bank with a balaclava on and a woman was wearing the burqa in front of me, who are they going to confront? Mm-hmm. 
Right, and asked me to take my balaclava out in a cold morning. I said, no, it's to keep my head warm, my ears warm, my chin warm. So, uh, who, the, who are they going to say, the, the woman beside me, uh, you need to take your burker off because this man's objecting because he's been told to take the balaclava off. That's a point, Ali, that people don't understand is they're allowed to walk in in their bank and you don't know who they are. Right. Okay, Joseph, thank you. Patricia, how are you? Oh, she's there. There you are, Patricia. I've got you now. Lost you yes. for a minute. Uh, your thoughts? My thoughts are this, Ali, and I've fucked up the courage to actually phone you now and see them because I've been thinking them for a long, long time. You know what? The burqa is really a mask. That's what it is. It disguises your face. If anybody else was to run about with a mask on their face in this country, they would get arrested because we wouldn't know what they're up to. You don't know who's behind the mask. Mm-hmm. Now, you say that a lot of these people, this is their country. Fair enough, they're born here. But it's not the culture of this country to run about with a mask on your face. It's not But what and about Boris's comments. Look, Mr Churchill says, I don't agree with what he says, but I defend to the death that he's right to say it. What happened to free speech in this country? Everybody that I know has the same opinion, and yet nobody opens their mouth. The only people that get listened to are the ones that go to George Square with the placards and say what they want to say, and they get listened to. The silent majority, they don't... That's why Alex Salmon thought he was going to win his referendum, because all the people that surround him agree with him. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't know what's going on outside in the real world People don't agree with them, so that's why you lost. But you thought you had won because the only people that open their mouths are the ones that's got the loud voice and they go out with the placards and they shout about this, that and the other, and then the laws get changed for them. And us, silent majority, all sit and say nothing. And, you know, when you say when good men fail to stand up and be counted, anarchy prevails, and that's what's happening in this country. Okay, so you think that we should be allowed to say what we want to say, freedom of speech. Well, we used to have that. Remember when they used to go up, I don't know if they still do it, in soapboxes and Hyde Park and spout off and they could say what they liked about the Queen and nobody gave a damn about it because nobody really listened. But we, we, I, I, I think you shouldn't be allowed to say hate speech because that is wrong. But to spe- express your opinion, there's nothing wrong with expressing your opinion. But not hate speech. But it's not just the 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 Muslim religion in this country, in Glasgow especially. We've got the Catholic and Protestant thing, which we don't need another one added to that, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But it should be allowed to voice your opinion without being afraid of sorting as a racialist. Because most people are not racialists. They're realists. And we look around and we see what's happening and we're thinking, well, how come... They can say what they like, but we can't. They're just too scared to say what they like. Most people won't lift the phone and phone you, Ali. Most people are sitting listening to your programme, agreeing or not agreeing, but they won't lift the phone and talk. That's that's the big problem Well, now. Patricia, thank you very much indeed for lifting the phone and talking to us today. Uh, Brian Smith says on uh, text here, Boris has no need to apologise for his comments on the burqa. Many people feel the same way, including myself, like other countries. I feel strongly that it should be banned here in the UK. Uh, Christina Reynolds says, I think Boris has been very truthful. Uh, I don't like looking at the burqa as I don't know uh, who's under them. Okay, well, that's that's your choice, right? Um, Who else is there here? Um, Don't like the man, says Marlon. He's talking about Boris, I think. But what he said is totally true. We don't know who's behind those veils. Andrew, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm fine, thanks. How are you, Ali? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. Good man. I think Johnson's a buffoon, Ali. We all kind of take that as kind of granted. But needless to say, the usual suspects with a hair-trigger sense of outrage have all jumped in the hate speech, etc. bandwagon this week and are calling for this, that, the next thing. I'm only surprised we haven't had the plug of carrying rent a mob take to the streets and chug a brick through Starbucks windows or some alley in protest at this. But the, the bottom line is European countries have banned the upper part of that uh, Muslim dress so they can see who they're dealing with, Ali. 
You know, mm-hmm. if you go into a bank or a public building, it would be classed as a security risk. And I think a lot of the feminists who have jumped in this bandwagon, why don't they question the rights that many Muslim brides have, which in my opinion tend to be very little? You know, they're second-class citizens in a marriage. Most of our westernized women wouldn't last two minutes in a blooming Muslim-type marriage. So, you know, we're missing the bigger picture here. You know, Johnson, as I say, is a clown, Ali. He he made stupid points for somebody in that position, but he's probably saying what the vast majority of the British public probably think. It's interesting you say he's a clown, because I've got a, a text in here from Neil who says that Boris is a well-educated man well, and, and a very clever man. Yeah. Right. Well, I, don't is... know, I don't know if he's clever. <laughs> well, I think sometimes a lot of these very well-educated folk can come across as a bit eccentric. Yeah, they? but there's a, a difference bit... between well-educated and being clever. Yeah, well, I would say you're right. He's certainly not Prime Minister material, and I think, you know, the, the it's only the fact probably the Labour Party are such a blooming joke that, you know, Theresa May's managed to stay in the job anyway, I would have thought. But uh, she's the best of a bad law if, if he's the contender for the job, God help us. Slightly concerning, though, Andrew, surely that um, here we are with, you know, all the the fear that we're being told about what could happen with Brexit and, and more and more um, industry leaders coming forward and saying, yeah. come on, we need to know what's going on here. Um, and yet... The, 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 you know, the, the Conservative Party can't get themselves sorted out with this uh, Brexit situation and they've spent three or four days and the top topic is something that Boris has said. Yes. Well, exactly. It just shows how completely out of touch with the you know, reality he is. He's probably one of these idiots that went around with the Brexit bus, of course, wasn't he, saying we'd all have 365 million quid a week more and what have you. Was he not the driver? It wouldn't be surprised if he was. He was certainly behind it. But he was the taking the ticket is, money as you got on the bus. But probably. The, the UK should go back cap in hand to Europe, Ali, and say, look, you know, we allowed the, the kind of great unwash to, to make a stupid decision and, you know, please forgive us and can we come back all is forgiven. Interesting thought. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Uh, right, uh, here's another one that says, with regard to Boris Johnson's comment, on the woman wearing the burqa, he was voicing his thoughts. That's all. The media has blown it out of proportion. That's it. Blame everything on the media. Yeah, it's all our fault. Um, here's another one here. It says, it's about time we as a nation stood up for our heritage. I was once arrested for wearing a ski and do with my kilt. Justice is a joke. This is Scotland's Talking. Lots of comments coming in regarding Boris. Uh, here's one from Liam. Totally agree with Boris Johnson's comments. He is more than welcome to his opinion, and I think the majority agree, but just fear saying it. 2018 seems to be the year to be offended by everything. If I went on holiday to a Muslim country, I would respect their laws, rules and cultures, would not drink alcohol or do anything that may cause unrest. Perhaps that attitude should be reciprocated with our cultures and values. Liam, thank you very much for that. Uh, Jim Hutchison says a few things, but uh, one that says, um, OK, so if we're banning burqas, let's ban men wearing suits. It was them who caused the country to go into depression, who made many redundant and who caused people to lose their houses, mostly all bank managers. Yeah, let's ban men who wear suits. Keep them coming in. I'd also like to touch on this subject. We like to think that Scotland's famed around the world for our warm welcome that we give to visitors, you know. Tens of thousands of them will be descending on Edinburgh over the next few weeks for the festivals. Lode's been here with the European... Uh, championships that have been going on as well in Glasgow. But here's how one very significant visitor was greeted on Wednesday. Hi, Teresa! Teresa, where's the soup pot? Are you coming in my show? We've got a food bank! Teresa, we've got a food banks for you! Teresa, come on, see where food banks! Is your shoes lovely, Teresa? We've got nice food banks! That was Glaswegian comedian Janie Godley you heard shouting at the Prime Minister, Theresa May, as she arrived in an event to meet the Soweto Gospel Choir at the Assembly Hall on the Mound. So I'd like to know where you stand on heckling. Is she showing up Scotland by screaming at our Prime Minister like that in the street? 
or is it a sign of a very healthy democracy? Listening to that, did it make you cringe to be Scottish? Or indeed, did you go, yeah, she's quite right. This is Scotland's Talking. Roz says, Ali, enjoy listening to the talking. Just to say, I thought that Janie Godley screaming at the top of her voice outside at our Prime Minister was terrible. I was around there at the time. OK, thank you for that. Uh, Willie, what do you think? Uh, yes, Ali. I commend uh, the lady for, for trying to get a message over that uh, the Prime Minister and her cohorts need to, to hear. I am, like everyone else, so utterly fed up of seeing the, the Prime Minister or... Theresa McVeigh or anyone else connected with the the policies of the Tory party deny the harm they're doing to millions of people, deny, 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 and they're helped along with this by the, the media who uh, interview them. Any of them get interviewed on television, they've given a very easy right. I can assure you of Miss, Mrs May came within earshot of me, she would hear a lot more than, than that lady was shouting. Uh, it's the, the right of every person in this country, the, the length and breadth of this country, to tell the Prime Minister that she's harming people. And uh, that's, that's as, as, as simple as that. If she came to Scotland... She should be prepared to listen to Scottish opinions. But is that, is that the way to get it over? Is that the way to, to be what screaming way, at somebody? What other way did she have? Had she turned up with a megaphone and tried to use that, I'm sure the police would have taken off her. She had the only instrument that she had at her disposal, her voice. And luckily, she was able to make her voice heard. And that is something that the Tories do not like. They do not like people being heard, telling the truth, telling them the harm they're doing to other people as part of their party's policies. And the other thing about Boris Johnson, the man is a joke. But Boris was taken, had his... uh, his ministerial role taken away, but someone handed him immediately a, a newspaper column to keep to keep his profile high and to give him a platform for his opinions mm-hmm. as noxious as they are. If if someone would would kindly do that with me, I would be very happy. But unfortunately, I didn't go to Eton. I didn't have my pals. Uh, who own newspapers and who say, right, Boris, we'll keep you for a wee while until we, we can use you again. There again, Willie. You know, you've got um, a, an outlet here and you use it, so thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Uh, Willie Tracy with his thoughts there. Uh, uh, this morning on the programme, we've been talking about uh, alcohol. We, we talked about that at the top of the programme. Do you tell the truth about how much you drink? Uh, a survey the other day which claimed GPs think most of us are underestimating our alcohol intake and some of them double the number of units they write down on their notes after you tell them uh, to make it more accurate because they think we're telling a lie. And it seems that those of us over the age of 50, we are the ones who are kidding ourselves the most. In other age groups, rates of higher risk drinking are down, but not among the oldies. So we've been talking about that, been talking about Boris uh, as well with his comments uh, and, of course, the heckling. Uh, let's go to Stephen. Stephen, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. Your thoughts on what? My thoughts on alcohol. I think you're a bit, a bit harsh in the over 50s, Ali. Because I've listened to your previous callers and, and your statistics say... It's not a problem with the teenagers. But when you put on that news, on the papers, and get into any of these Kelvin Grove Park, the Overleaf Park, the Tina Park, or any park you want, Ali, thousands and thousands of teenagers follow the drink. Mm-hmm. Go into the streets here, Ali, at night time. In any street you like in Glasgow or anywhere, there's still these nightclubs. I don't see any over 50s in there. I don't even see any over 40s in there, Ali. So how can they say it's the over 50s? 
And as I certain element of the over fifties or forties or any age group you would like to say, it's loneliness is a problem. The folk do over the families. You can go to these meetings and speak to these people, but as soon as you walk right through that door, you're back in it. Straight across the road for you, there's an off sales. You buy a pint of milk, you buy a fish supper, you go in there and so I'll buy a drink. But no, Ali, I would really say you know, the government have got to start as the age group and educate educate people at an early age. And I would raise the drinking age to 25, Ali. I know you can get in a pub and you've got to prove you're 25 to sell you 18. The survey, the survey, what, you, what you're missing here, Stephen, is I'm not, I, I'm not I, you are. You said I'm having a go at the over 50s. I'm not. I'm telling you what the, the research has said. And, the research and I'm telling you the researchers are wrong, Alec. No, you, in, in your opinion, in your opinion, the research. No, it's not my opinion, Alec. They clearly stated it's the over 50s. But yeah. I, you look at the newspapers and the telly. If you go to any hospital, you'll see children lying in hospitals. I've seen it from my own eyes, Ali. Children as young as 10 and 12, wrapped in tinfoil. I've been in hospitals, I've seen the wings, Ali. They really want to a reality check and start looking at all these youngings. It's no, as I said, majority of the over 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s, but it's no a problem. The problem is with all these youngings and their availability. Do you know something, else? You can phone up for a carrier now. A taxi driver or a shopkeeper will come to your door. You see, Stonia, you can buy the bottle of vodka off him. Just not ask you for ID. You can be able to get that door, Ali. The, the law has got to, the government's Stephen, got to change. Stephen, the survey says in every other age group, the rates of higher risk drinking are going down. So what, they, what they're trying to ask and ascertain is why is it the over 50s have, are not coming down? They're continuing to drink. You're right. They're doing it in the house. They're doing it from wherever. But the other, the other age Who are these people? Down. I think they're manufacturing the figures, Ali, because there's no way you're trying to tell me in these statistics that there's not a problem with the young men's drinking. It's not, it's for the over 50s. Yet you look at the newspapers, they say, this folk all passed their exams, Ali, 14 up to 16, all finding a bag for the drink. So how can you turn around and say there's, there's nearly a problem with over 50s? And all these parts of tea in the park, there's loads of them, Ali. He's not, I don't think he's in the right, right way, but when he rally you spoke, these are pitics. Because I'll take you with that guy, we'll go to the weekend, we'll get you all these parts, just have a look. Thousands, it's thousands, Ali. And the thing is, drink is, folk don't have a family. They end up maybe lose a job, or they might lose a loved one, and come to the drink. But they've not got friends, they've, they've got, there's nothing there. But they're not constantly just sitting there getting buried, Ali. It's not, there is a, a majority of them, but the biggest, Factor the alcohol is now bumping the all emergency services is teenagers. So okay, Stephen, that's it. Fine, you've said that a few times. Thank you very much, Dee. Does it say? So our opinions, and he can have his Mandy. Hello, Mandy. Hello. What's your thoughts on the sub? What do you want to talk about first of all? I was on about the bucket of Boris Johnson. Okay, right. What do you think? I think it's not our country. It's not a culture in our country. Mm-hmm. So go to the country that we're in. But it is their culture Aye. in this country. If they were born in this country, this is their country. Aye, if it is their country. Well, well... Their country doesn't have that. But as far as they're concerned, this is their country and they've been brought up that way. So why shouldn't they? Well, I don't agree they should. Would you wear any covering your face in public? Would you want somebody teaching their children wearing it? Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm taking your point here. I understand what you're saying. But, um, you know, it, it's, it still comes back to that it is, um, for many, you're saying, you know, go back to the countries and etc. This is their country. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. Saul's here with some of what's happening on uh, uh, social media. Good morning. Good morning. Um, and phone lines and everything very busy today. Uh, here's one from me. It says, it's a security risk. Who's, I don't mean it's from me. I'm reading it out. Uh, Dave says, security risk. It doesn't matter for the good of the country. Uh, the burqa should be banned in a public place. It's as simple as that. In the interest for all safety, take the mask off, please. Surely it would be understood and accepted. 
Okay, so that's on the, the burqa. What have you got? Stephen speaking about the burqa. Also, they should be banned. If Westerners visit some Muslim countries, we are told to dress appropriately. Why can't we do the same without someone moaning that it affects their human rights? It's so intimidating to look at. Who cares what their faces look like? There you go. And uh, Boris for Prime Minister says this one. It's from Phil. And he says Muslim women, um, he tells, oh, I see, yeah, uh, B- Boris for Prime Minister, he tells it as it is. Okay, right. Sharon says, when we visit or move to other countries, we have to abide by their laws. Boris only said what a lot of people think. However, I don't like the term of letterbox and I believe in the ban, as we don't know if it's males or females under the burqa. France has an outright ban and what I've heard is a lot of women don't want to wear them after watching a few documentaries. Okay, and there's one that says, I wouldn't say racist, because that was the question I was asking. Was he racist or was he just being rude? Um, I've I've now come to the conclusion as well that he's um, uh, generating publicity for himself. Um, But this one says, I wouldn't say racist, inappropriate and insensitive, yes. My view is the burqa does no harm, so live and let live. And with regards to free speech, absolutely everyone has the right. But with that, they take the responsibility of what they say and have to deal with the consequences of what they say. It's up to the rest of us, especially the media, to hold the likes of Boris to account for what they say. Last one from Twitter. It's time the burqa was banned, thinks Kenny. When you go into a petrol station, you must have your face uncovered. Same with banks and other high-profile places. Letterboxes and bank robbers wasn't clever, but time that the mask and clothing was banned. Okay, and one here from another Kenny, actually. Kenny and Lindsay this time. He's, he's saying, you know, it's not just the UK Prime Minister that's harming everyone. This goes back to uh, one of the calls that comes in there. I think uh, it was um, uh, from... I've forgotten now. Anyway, it was there. It was there. Um, and it says, uh, what about... Our beloved First Minister with her daft policies. What is she doing to address issues on homelessness, food banks, etc.? Kenny and Lindsay, thank you very much indeed. And I think that's about it. There's um, uh, a whole debate going on in my Facebook it here. Is yes, I'm, I'm, being, I'm watching what I'm reading here because some of them uh, just go over the top a wee bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, there's a, a debate going on in my Facebook with uh, quite a few comments there and will no doubt continue uh, throughout the afternoon as it quite often does on my Facebook if you've not been on it, is Ali Bally Show. You'll find me there. Uh, as I say, that's about it. Thank you very much indeed for your company today for Scotland's talking. We are both back. Saul and I, yes, you're back. Yeah, I'm back you're next right, weekend. You're back next Sunday. Okay, we shall be here from ten through until midday with, of course, uh, all your comments. And I've just noticed one more coming in here. So I'll just read this at the moment. Uh, And it says, I heard a recent comment that someone wearing a burqa was having difficulty with her vision whilst driving. Surely that's another reason why it should be banned. Valid point for safety issues. I agree. Agree on that. Yeah, that that can't possibly have uh, full vision with with the the burqa on. So maybe that is another reason. But is it any more of a reason than some people who go around with headphones in their heads? And I'm just talking about the white ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, Notice someone, a delivery driver the other day, they're wearing a big pair of these Dr. Beat headphones. White ones. (laughs) While he's driving. How on earth can he hear anything? Some distraction. Absolutely, yeah. He couldn't hear anything if anybody's blasting away at him if you see anything coming. So is that any different? That's it. I've run out of time. This has been Scotland's talking. Thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Bye bye. Turning Point Scotland. Scotland's talking. Like and share us. And come back for the next episode next week.